0: Welcome to the Common Ground Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the spirit within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus's prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rollins and Kevin Witham.
1: Hey guys, and welcome back to our podcast. We are so excited that you're here. I'm your co-host Megan Rawlings, and joining me, I have my co-host
2: Kevin Witham. And I'm so glad to be back with everybody again for another great conversation that we have planned today. We we have with us today uh, Megan Ben Brewster and Ben mm-hmm. is a not only a fellow preacher, he preaches down in Louisiana in Boisier City at the Airline Drive Church of Christ, uh, but he's also a historian and has written a book uh, in, called Torn Asunder that I recently read, although it's been around for quite a while. It was written in 2006 at the 100th year marker of of the kind of Breach and division between churches of Christ and Christian churches. So he wrote it uh, with that breach in fellowship, that split in mind. And man, it was an eye opening book and a helpful book uh, and very readable, just a very engaging style. So, Ben, we are so glad to have you with us, both a preacher and a historian. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about your spiritual life
3: and ministry. Oh, Megan, Kevin, thanks for having me. It's uh it's fun to be here with y'all to to talk a little bit about um about history and our common bonds and heritage. Um, I'm a preacher's kid. Um, so um I may say something off the wall. Um, you know, I I could say I've been through years of therapy, uh, but I'm in a much better place now. And, And all joking aside, um, you know, being a preacher's kid gives you kind of a unique experience. Um and so uh, you know I grew up in the churches of Christ and my whole life I've been here my entire life and um, uh, been a little bit all over different parts of the world but but most of the most of my life has been here in um, Northwestern Louisiana.
1: Oh my gosh. well you it's fun um, because you said you were from western Pennsylvania, right originally and you used to travel with your family and do, uh, family vacations and the family vacations are very unique. And I want to hear about that. And I also want to hear about how those kind of spurred you into, uh, writing this book.
3: Saying that they're unique, Megan, that's a really kind word to use. (laughs) Um, As a kid, they were kind of torturous. And, uh, you know, some people go to Disney world or they go to the beach or they go skiing. Um, my mom is a retired high school history teacher, and she loves the Civil War, uh, that, that part of history. And so we would inevitably stop at Civil War historical sites. And, and my dad didn't want to be outdone. He loves uh, Restoration, Stone Campbell history. And so he would, he would find a site in relation to whatever Civil War site we were going to. And so we, we would get both of those.
2: <laughs> now, your dad sounds like he like, would like to take the, or took the kind of vacations I would love to go on. But Disneyland always <laughs> won out. Um, <laughs> we always why went to, to the other places.
1: Yeah, why go to Disney World when you can go to Cambridge?
2: Absolutely. That's Absolutely. like a child's dream. And that is on my bucket list, by the way. So so, so that kind of formed for you. you know, so here you say, you know those vacations weren't idyllic for a young man, but you ended up with this great interest in our
3: history and our movement.
2: I mean, come on, there's
3: there's nothing weird about taking your family to a cemetery and and looking at tombstones. (laughs) Um, That's not strange at all. Um, Maybe just a little weird, but we'll, uh, we'll continue the conversation. Yeah. To to your question, Kevin, it it did create (laughs) an an interest in me. Um, When, when you see your parents passionate about something, uh, you may kind of rebel against it as a kid and kind of ignore it, but but there was a part of the uh, that I thought, man, why is this so important? Uh, why is this so important to my dad? What? Why does this matter so much? And
2: and you ended up uh, studying history and making that a part of your uh, education. Did you do that with a desire to dig deeper into our history? Or was it just an interest in history in general? It sounds like you came by it honestly in your DNA with your mom and dad.
3: Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, being a preacher's kid, um, I never wanted to be a preacher. Um, sometimes as a preacher's kid, you see the ugly side of ministry the hurtful side. And I'd seen some things growing up and I said, I don't want any part of that. So I, I was a journalism major. I tried to get as far away from uh, the Bible department as possible. And, um, but then uh, I was working for a paper in, in Ohio and my wife and I were volunteering with the youth ministry at our church and, and God opened some doors to get into ministry. And so that, that's where we made, made that leap. And I thought, you know, I need to go back and get some more education. And Cincinnati Christian was right down the road from where we were living at that time. And I said, I want to go study church history with James North, um, who is a hero of mine. And I thought, what an incredible opportunity uh, to sit at his feet. And so I got to study under, um, James North, but also, um, You've probably heard of Rick Cherrick, who wrote a great book debating for God about Alexander Campbell's debates. And yes. uh, I was my last year there was his first year there, so I got I got to um, to take a class with him as well, and it was an incredible experience. So you kind of cross pollinated some some
2: Christian church uh, education schools and uh, Church of Christ schools. You, yeah, you
3: got to experience both both streams and people within. Yes. And um, it was just such a great experience. Um, I, I love I love my brothers and sisters in, in the Christian churches. They're just some of the best people in the world that I've ever met.
1: So you wrote this book. And um, I want you to tell me a little bit. First of all, tell me about what it's about. It's a two-part question. What is your book about? And then tell me what led you to want to write it.
3: Okay. Well, um, I had originally written a book called The Da Vinci Code, and uh, someone else <laughs> claimed authorship. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, stole your manuscript. Yeah, yeah, I know how that goes. Yeah, but um, so, so <laughs> I, I decided to to um th- the the torn asunder is about the first major division that took place uh, among the disciples. I'm just, I'm just going to use the term to disi- disciples to apply to everybody connected with the uh, Stone Campbell movement. And um, it talks about um, what I believe was the major factor, and that was the Civil War, um, the North South divide, the issues that were swirling, and how um, the people in the Restoration Movement, which is a unity movement, begin drawing lines on each other and, um, and the results that happen as a result of that. And of course, 1906 is a pivotal date. Uh, because that was the first time in the United States Census in, in, the, in the religious section where Churches of Christ were listed separately, and that came about as a result of a question that was posed uh, to David Lipscomb, who was the editor of The Gospel Advocate. Um, so it's it's not an uplifting book. It's a book about division and um, kind of what how I saw that happening and um, who were the principal uh, people involved in that and what were the issues. Ben, when you set out to write this book, a- as you got into the research, and
2: boy, it's a well-researched book, um, what most surprised you as you're doing this research as to the things that separated
3: these bodies? I think uh, the humanity of everybody involved. Um, I think a lot of our issues are just struggles that we have as as human beings. And um, sometimes we want to justify, and so we, we frame things in a theological um, framework, but really there are other issues contributing to it. Um, I remember sitting in um, James North's office talking about... Um, this period of time and and we were talking about David Lipscomb and he was one of the ones that surprised me because um, I had read some books and and heard some some opinions some um, and outside of the acapella churches of Christ Lipscomb isn't typically looked upon in a favorable light but the more I dug into David Lipscomb's life I saw a man who genuinely was trying to to do what he thought was right. He wasn't perfect. I mean, he did some things that we would agree with, some things we, we wouldn't agree with, just like any human being. Um, but I think he really, he really had a, um, a sense of wanting to do what he felt like God was calling him to do. And I think he found himself in some situations, which looking back, as we can look at now, probably he didn't make the best decisions. But I think division really broke his heart at the end of the day.
1: Oh, that's interesting. What what makes you say that? Like, what about him made you think? Yeah, he definitely wasn't excited about that.
3: Well, I think um, you know one of the, the the most heinous things that was done uh, during the Civil War was uh, the American Christian Missionary Society w- would get together and have a, an annual convention, and they were having one in um, in 1861 in Cincinnati. And of course, that's the year the Civil War broke out. And not a single disciple from the South was present. And there were individuals who attended that who showed up wearing the uniform of the Union Army. And there was a, a loyalty resolution that was passed. And words were used like uh, to describe Southerners as traitors. Um, and then in 1863, at another convention, even more resolutions were passed. And I think that just hurt Lipscomb so, so badly. Um, and he, he never recovered from that, um, that division, those lines that were being drawn there. Um, I think it was Tolbert Fanning, who was a mentor of Lipscomb, who after hearing about these loyalty resolutions said, how can we ever, um, you know, shake hands with those who have sought our blood? Um, it was a horribly divisive time and and that really did irreparable harm. Um, and I, I don't think Lipscomb really recovered from it. And then, when you get into the years after the Civil War, and of course, Lipscomb, you know, he opposed instrumental music, but you got to look at his viewpoint, churches in the South were absolutely devastated. Um, they were struggling to just rebuild. Um, it was much different in the north than it was in the South. And so, you put yourself in Lipscomb's shoes. He's trying to, to rebuild congregations that have been destroyed during the war. And he looks up and sees um, Northern Brethren paying $3,000 to put an organ into this really beautiful building. And, and so for Lipscomb, I think there was a lot of personal hurt. Like, why aren't our Northern Brethren doing more to help us?
1: Mm, that's interesting.
2: I, th- I think that's one of the things that just surprised me the most. Uh, growing up myself in Churches of Christ and learning of and, and hearing, you know, the things that we described about the movement, uh, we, we would have thought that the two main issues were the American Christian Missionary Society and instrumental music. But the politics of the Civil War and, and the way that uh, made its way into what the society was doing you you highlight was such a factor did that surprise you and and would you say that was a greater factor than the two issues that we tend to focus on the most
3: well I think the 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 big issue um, that manifested in different forms was was biblical interpretation um, how do we interpret the Bible and um, the issue of silence um, does um does silence uh, imply prohibition or does it give permission? And I think that argument we see in the argument about slavery and the arguments about um, should, should Christians participate in war? Should Christians be pacifist? Um, that argument from silence keeps coming back um, again and again. Um, you know, on the slavery issue, um, Benjamin Franklin, who uh, was from Indiana and um, edited the American Christian Review, um, that was the argument he used for for not getting into the issue of slavery, because he said, if we can't find an express statement made by Jesus on this, then we can't make a statement on it. Uh, interesting out of that,
2: um, you know, I would I would have always then thought that those lines were drawn pretty quickly. It seems to me in reading your book that there was, even though a disagreement on the hermeneutics here, on the the interpretation of scripture, it seemed like there was still a pretty long period of forbearance with one another, but that the North South divide of the civil war pressed it and put more pressure
3: on that, that problem. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so, Kevin. Um, I, I think uh, it may sound too simplistic, but Leroy Garrett, um, years ago, I, I heard him say this. Um, he was answering the question about why why did we divide? And he said simply, we quit loving each other. Mm. Mm. Wow.
1: But can't that be said for basically any kind of division anywhere?
3: Yeah, yeah, you're right, Megan, it can. <laughs> And maybe that's why Jesus said, you know, love God and love your neighbors yourself are the greatest commands. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely.
3: Amen. Well, as you kind of, you know, think through your research,
2: talk to us a little bit about some of these personalities that you know, either fought for unity or, or fanned the flames of division. Um, who were some of those prominent figures and what lessons do you think we should take away from them?
3: Well, you know, uh, some of the ones that stick out to me. Um, I love Thomas Campbell. Um, I love reading and studying about him and the impact he had uh, on uh, the um, the movement. He wrote uh, the address and the declaration and address in eighteen oh nine, in which he um, put thirteen, I think, propositions in there and. And, and to me, I think that that's probably one of the most important documents next to the Bible that we have. And uh, he, he gave us some great guidelines. Um, he, he tried to to say, don't make opinions or interpretations test a fellowship. And for the for the large part, I think that that early generation of of leaders in our movement, um, you know, Thomas Campbell and Alexander Campbell and, um, of course, Barton Stone. Um, I think Walter Scott as well. They, they, they did that and they were able to navigate some pretty rocky terrain. I mean, the fact that, uh, Campbell and his group, Alexander Campbell and his group were able to unite with Stone and the Kentucky Christians with the disagreements they had is absolutely phenomenal. Um, but they had this commitment and, and even Barton Stone said this was the greatest work of his life. Mm. It was that important, um, to him. So I think Thomas Campbell is, is a great one. Uh, James O'Kelly, uh, is fascinating as well. Um, and, um, you know, he, he wrote a number of different principles for, for Christian union, how to bring people together. um, one of my favorites though in in our history is uh, TB. Larimore, a preacher from uh, Alabama and um, living in Louisiana being an LSU fan, we usually don't don't give any props to Alabama at all <laughs> um, but um, yeah, they usually beat us every year but um, <laughs> anyway, I'm digressing. not that I'm bitter or anything
2: yes. I think we're, I'm we're, gonna, we're building towards unity here, and, and you might, with some of our, <laughs> our listeners here, be creating some dissension, but we'll let you proceed. I'll go get another piece <laughs> of king
3: cake, and I'll feel better real quick. Sounds All
1: like right. a plan, yeah. So,
3: but but TB Larimore is absolutely amazing. Um, one of my favorites. In, in fact, even after um, churches began dividing, saying, you know— you had your instrumental churches and your acapella churches and your pro-missionary society, anti-mission. T.B. Larimore, he he would go anywhere. He would go among the churches preaching, and he was so determined to to stick with the gospel uh, and the gospel alone. And um, he, he's just somebody that um, I think is such a bright light in our movement. And you know, he refused um, to return insult for insult. There were. There were people who just really wrote some horrible things about him because they wanted him to stay, take an issue. Where, where do you stand on the instrument or where do you stand on paying a preacher? And, and he refused to do those things. Uh, one time, I, uh, James A. Harding, who was at the Nashville Bible School, the precursor to Lipscomb University, made the statement that until Larimore takes a stand on the instrumental issue, he will never speak here. Uh, mm. So he he incurred a lot of abuse, but he showed such a Christ-like example um, in that he he said he would never, never uh, disfellowship his brethren, even if they disfellowshipped him. You have a great quote by Laramore
2: in an article you wrote that appeared in our Common Grounds Facebook page, where Laramore says, I love my brethren and long, long ago solemnly resolved to never go to war with them or rather against them, it seems to suit some good brethren to dispute with each other, but it does not suit me. I love that quote. Laramore, by the way, uh, I preached for about 13 years down in the city of San Diego for the El Cajon Boulevard Church of Christ, hmm. and that church traces its origins back to T.B. Laramore coming to Southern California and wow. preaching the gospel and baptizing three men in the Pacific Ocean that that became the core that eventually became that church so i've got a lot of love for larry moore myself and Mm. love it that you love him what a great spirit yeah that that's incredible
1: hey guys this conversation is super exciting and i'm having a lot of fun with it but what i want to do is go ahead and wrap up this part one and for you who are listening in on this podcast to be sure to join us for part two as we talk to ben a little bit more
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Ground Unity Podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources, and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.